Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrell pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, I've prepared a fun little game for us to start this week's podcast. Oh, yes. I love games. Games are my favorite. Games are good. This game is called the National Broadcaster Playoff Grab Bag. This is this is glorious already. We had this so is, much to pick from over the last week. This is just things that national broadcasters default to because they know not enough about each team that's playing in the playoffs. Are you ready? Uh, yes, I'm so ready for this. My first one this week is, you know, Alex, the Marlins, they've never lost a playoff series. Have you heard that? I have now. That's, uh, yeah, that's that's really, yeah, I'd never heard that before today. They've never won a division title. They have only made the playoffs twice, and they have swept straight through to win the World Series both times, and that streak is still alive. Have you heard about this? I It may have crossed um, my, my Twitter feed once or twice. It may have been mentioned on a broadcast, even. Um, I, I'm, I'm not sure, though. This seems like it's kind of out of left field. Okay, let's move on to the second thing. Team X has acquired a lot of new talent, and that's fantastic, Alex. A lot of good new guys on the squad. Fresh look, fresh faces. But player Y, they've been here through all of it. Yes. Yeah. Yadier Molina, he's seen the dark days. He's been here for the dynasty. Don't know if you know this, but he's been around for a while. Yadier Molina, been, been playing baseball for at least, at least a couple years. You know, Aaron Judge... And Giancarlo Stanton, they get a lot of attention. But you know who's been here through it all? Brett Gardner. Brett Gardner, the sheriff. Fucking yeehaw. You call up a guy like Ronald Acuna. You call up a guy like Ozzy Albies. You sign a Marcelo Zuna. That's all fantastic. You know, they're, they're very flashy. They got a lot of talent. But you know who's locked it down through all of this, Alex? Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman, the GOAT. Okay, you ready for my third one? Please. In the National Broadcaster Grab Bag Game. They may not wow you with big names or endorsement deals, Alex, but the Oakland Athletics, they just have a bunch of ball players. That we love a team with ball players. We, we do. just cycle them in and they just they they get the job done. You gotta commend Billy Bean because he finds guys who get the job done. Jake Lamb left for dead. Picked him up off the scrap heap. Their get the job done above replacement is off the charts. Bobby, I, I don't know if you've heard this, but the A's fans are something else. I mean, they're so they're such a big part of the team, of the environment. And you know, not everyone loves the the ballpark, but you know, it's it's something special. It really and the and the fans are a really big part of that. I just there's there's no fan base like them. So what you're saying is they mean a lot to the community. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Okay, I got two more for you. Ready? Oh, uh, yeah. Player X, he just has so much power. But the thing that I love about him, broadca- Mr. National Broadcaster, the thing that I love about him is that he's not afraid to take the ball the other way, Alex. Yes, absolutely. We love a little bit of slap hitting. Who can't pull a big dinger, you know, to their pull side? Anybody could do that. Yeah. But when you can take that pitch of the outer half the other way, that's when you really prove that you're a complete hitter on the biggest stage that there is the MLB playoffs. 
Singles every day, baby. Let's get it. Okay, here's my final one. And this one is a little more niche. It's a little more esoteric. But when a broadcaster does it, I truly, I really love it. And it's not just the broadcaster's fault. It's really the whole production team because there's some prep that goes into this one. But it's, would you believe who played with this guy in high school? Yeah. I'm referring to this year, um, the fact that Jack Flaherty, Lucas Giolito, and Max Fried all played on the same high school team at Harvard-Westlake in Los Angeles. And that was a feature on the Cardinals-Padres Game 3 broadcast, which is always just such a fun go-to for the broadcasters to be like, crazy high school team, bet you they never lost. But of course, made famous by the fact that Matthew Stafford and Clayton Kershaw played on the same high school baseball (laughs) team as well. (laughs) And every broadcast thinks that their story is going to be as interesting as, as that one, as Stafford and Kershaw, which is uninteresting as it is. Like, I, I have no way to contextualize that. And even just thinking about that in my head, I'm like, wow. You mean there were two guys who played together at, in the same place, and now they're both, they're both also, they're good at what they do, and they're famous? Damn. That, that, that's, a, that's a statement. We, we live fa- in a society. <laughs> I, know, I never know what to do with that stuff. I'm always just like, cool. That's wild, huh? I hope they hope they wished each other wished each other luck before the start of the game. I I hope they're friends. The ESPN not, not enemies. Yeah, they probably hate each other. Like the <laughs> the ESPN booth was really having fun with the Jack Flaherty element of it because he pitched third and the other two guys pitched really well. So it was like pressure's on. Jack Flaherty wouldn't want to let the alma mater down. That's what he's thinking about right now. Yes, exactly. He doesn't have Harvard Westlake. He's like my Harvard Westlake baseball coach is going to be like. See, told you, Gilito was better. Carrying that ship on that shoulder. Okay, we're going to talk about the actual baseball that happened in this past week's first round. Um, and then we're going to do famed segment three up, three down later in the podcast. But before we get to all that good stuff, I am Bobby Wagner. I am Alex Basley. And you're listening to Tipping Pitches. Alex, we've successfully completed... A first round of playoff baseball. There were 16 teams and now there are eight. We played three game series. Nothing is the same as it has ever been. How do you feel? Oakland days, baby. Let's go. Is there any right now? That's how I've been feeling for four days. Is there any element of creeping down in your head where you're like, "Eh, it doesn't really count as a playoff series because it was the three game first round? I mean, there's a there's a weird element to all of this where I'm like, what? It, going back to our conversation last week, I'm like, does this mean anything? But now, I mean, now that the A's have won, yeah, I, I mean, I'm all in on this. We should. This needs to be memorialized in the history books, not as an outlier season, but really as the defining season of Major League Baseball. Unless yeah. the A's get eliminated by the Astros, in which case. I, I, I don't think that any of this stays on the books. Agreed. If yeah. the Astros make it to the World Series this year, we can just memory hole this whole season. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's go through a couple takeaways from the first round. We can talk generally about how it felt to watch playoff baseball. But I think first, before we do any of that, that classic tipping pitches generalist, what'd you feel, bro? I think we should talk about Fernando Tatis. <laughs> All right. 
your fave. My fave. Am I you sure am you I, don't you're sure you don't want to talk Chris Paddock? Then I know you got strong feelings about Chris Paddock. We could talk Chris Paddock if you want. A mediocre a mediocre pitcher. I no, I, I I don't. I don't have strong feelings on him either way. Chris Paddock will have a worse career than David Peterson. Lock it in. I will take this bet with you. Chris Paddock will be worth less war at the end of his career than David Peterson. We can cash this in whenever both of them are done. All right, let's go. You heard it here on the podcast. I'm going to I'm going to take Chris Paddock on this one. I just I mostly cuz I like pitchers who can strike guys out every once in a while. Except when he doesn't and has a 5 year right, but that's fine. <laughs> I, what should we make as the the punishment or the reward? Should we leave that up to the listeners? I was going to suggest tying it to the to the all gift draft, but um, but you know, will the all gift draft be going in ten years? Whenever both their careers are over, <laughs> who's to say? I hope not. Honestly, <laughs> ten more years of the gift draft. Eh, actually, I don't know. It'd be fun. No, I want to talk about gifts. Will be irrelevant by then, if we're being quite honest. Yeah. I want to talk about Fernando Tatis really quickly because from the first round, he was my biggest takeaway in terms of breakout stars. And I know this whole season has been a breakout for him, but his performance in game two, hitting two home runs, the come from behind victory, the flashy defensive plays, and it felt like everybody was collectively watching him all at the same time for the first year. You know, like throughout the year, it's a little weird because it's obviously a pandemic season. There's no fans in the stands. Even the biggest games, not as many people are watching as maybe would be if it was like coming down the stretch of a playoff race against the Dodgers or against whoever might be competing for the NL wildcard spot. But it felt like because that se- that series kind of dragged on a little longer, it went three games. It was the last series to wrap up in the NL that like everybody was paying attention to it and people were worried about the Padres getting eliminated in the first round and I think people were actively invested in the Cardinals not making it past the first round because everybody hates the Cardinals and so it was like oh shit the most fun young team in baseball is about to get swept by the Cardinals in the first round and then they didn't and then Cardinals devil magic was overcome by Tatis and Machado and even Will Myers. But Tatis specifically, I feel, am I overreacting to be like, this might be the defining baseball player of our generation? You know, like of, of the people who are like mid-20s right now, not quite old enough to have remembered Griffey in his prime, have complicated feelings about Alex Rodriguez because of a lot of reasons, and maybe we'll talk about some of them in this very podcast. And obviously, everybody before Griffey, like we weren't around to see anything other than highlights. So at this point now, I feel like we're at a pivot point where he might just become the face of our game. And obviously, the elephant in the room is one Michael Trout. Um, but he doesn't have his. Michael Trout sounds weird. Never thought about <laughs> it, does... it that way. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I actually, I don't even know if it is Michael. You know, like I think it would make more sense if his birth name was just Mike. Yeah, big New Jersey energy if his birth name was <laughs> just Mike. Um, but obviously, he doesn't have the playoff resume, which feels really like shitty old broadcaster like to bring up. But it's Tatis true. has already done more in the playoffs than Trout, and he's only twenty one, <laughs> and he has the the obvious flair. So I think like, is he the 
best player of the generation going forward? Yeah, probably. And is he the face of baseball going forward? I think most definitely. And you're right that I I think it's a good thing that the Padres made it through and that they were the last team to finish because it did feel like everyone's focus kind of honed in on them. Um, especially following the A's White Sox series, which I think was the probably the most, I mean, I'm biased, but the, the most compelling series in the, the American League. I think that actually I was going to put this in my uh, down and three up, three down, and I'm I'm just going to say it here that I think it's a real shame that the White Sox were eliminated. I I am happy that A's won, but I also think it would have been extremely fun. Commendably I, I, unbiased. I know. Look right? at you. You're a fucking objective journalist. So my takeaway from watching the White Sox play baseball is that the White Sox are an incredibly fun team. And I think the only counterbalance to Tatis in these playoffs may be a player like Tim Anderson, who has that exact same energy and was absolutely raking during that series, right? I mean, that team has Abreu and Moncada and Robert and Jimenez. So with them eliminated, Tatis is the guy. And I feel like most... I feel like unless you are a Yankees or Astros fan, at this point, you're probably rooting for something along the lines of an A's Padres World Series. That's what I'm hoping for. Not if you're Rob Manfred. Not if you're a Rob Manfred. I know, but he's not a fan of anything. I know this. <laughs> no, he's a fan of the game. Don't right, don't misquote right, him. Right. Yes, just because he doesn't have it tattooed across his forehead doesn't mean he's not a fan. I know, and he's like, I, I love our product as much as anyone yeah. loves our product. Yeah. I'm really happy about the product. It's like, dude, take it down a notch. You're not like manufacturing cars. We're playing a game here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think... So Tim Anderson is an interesting figure in this conversation when we talk about Tatis because he's like, the, he's the AL version of him. You know, he is flouting unwritten rules. He is doing bat flips. He is playing in a very specific way. He's bucking a lot of statistical trends in the sense that he doesn't walk a ton. There were questions if he would be able to continue at the pace that he had set with such a high batting average when he doesn't draw a lot of walks. And he's basically put all those questions to rest. But he's also six years older than Tatis. So I think there's there's a definite possibility that the two of them might be hitting a peak at the same time, but I think Tim Anderson will likely fall off that peak much earlier than Tatis, provided that Tatis stays healthy, and that's another big elephant in the room here. Knock on wood. But I think the reason that I am so over the moon about Tatis, no pun intended, is that we just have a decade of this, at least, if everything breaks correctly for us and everything breaks correctly for him. And... I think that's really exciting. And knowing that Machado is going to be there for at least the next eight years of that decade because he was signed to a 10-year contract is also really cool. And I don't know. At least that's my biggest takeaway. And of course, it's all bias. Like you self-select into the group of people who's going to be excited about the Padres advancing. And I did that basically at game 20 this year when I purchased my Tatis Jr. jersey. But 
I think that was my biggest takeaway from the first round. And there's other stuff that we can talk about. I mean, did you have any other burning takeaways from this first week of watching playoff baseball? Well, well first of all, I will say that um, I think it's time to have an old take exposed of mine. Uh, and that is, I did call the Oakland A's frauds going into going into the playoffs. They are they you are the team them that I'm rooting like halfway for. Halfway through game three, also. <laughs> <laughs> no, I said I said they were they were less frauds than we thought. Semi fraud, um, semi yeah, semi fraud. Uh, maybe they know what they're doing. I'm not entirely confident yet, but I think no baseball fan ever is truly confident. Um, so. Oakland A's good at baseball when they actually want to be. You know, I it's it's a lot of agony. Got to say, I don't love balls. I don't love it when they don't throw strikes. I think I learned that more than ever, really, in the last five days. Just as Billy Bean drew it up in 2002, the A's draw two walks with the bases loaded to take the lead in a playoff series in advance. Yes, this was exactly. the plan. This all is the along. moment that he was building for. Yes, exactly. He it was a it was a eighteen year window, and we're right <laughs> at the end of that window. <laughs> my, my real takeaway, actually, from this from this past week, and I hope it's not blasphemous to say this, but I kind of thought there was too much baseball. Whoa! Like, okay, it was kind of a lot. There were eight games every day for a couple days there, and they were starting at like noon, one, you know, try on the being, East Coast. Try being me. Yeah, I woke up yeah. at 8.58 <laughs> and I was like, time to bring my laptop into bed with me while I wake up. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I think that like as the as this first week um, drew on it became easier to watch games because they were a little bit more like spaced out and you would have one game that kind of bled right into the other. Um, On like Wednesday, I had like four different games up and I couldn't watch all of them. And that was a bummer because I actually wanted to watch a lot of them because it's the playoffs. And these are a lot of baseball teams that I don't usually get to watch. I'm not going to say I wanted to watch the Reds because looking back, I don't think anyone would, choose to put themselves through that but i watched that I actually whole game i actually wanted to innings. watch jesus christ it was yeah tight. And, and i i would have hoped that i i could have caught more of it but you know i think that your attention ends up getting so divided and this is you know part of the problem with the the new playoff structure right is that you have a few days like this and on the one hand it's kind of awesome right because you wake up and you're like there's baseball on right now from now until I go to bed and there's, and it's all meaningful baseball. Um, but I don't know. I was a little fatigued. I was a little tired. There's some long days as baseball connoisseurs. I, I respect that opinion. I don't know if I necessarily agree with it, but as somebody who is a full game watcher, as I just mentioned with the Reds Braves game, like if I start a game, I want to finish the game because I started it. And if you spend two and a half hours watching a game, why not spend the last 30 minutes watching the conclusion? And when it gets most tense, you know, inning seven through nine are what playoff baseball is built on. And sometimes inning seven through 13, if neither team can hit. That was another one of my takeaways that I have written down here is uh, 
turns out you actually need to be able to score to win a playoff series. You know, oh, we all yes, got that is crucial. We all got fucking cute picking the Reds. We all got cute picking Cleveland. We're like, oh, I don't know, with this one, two, three of Bieber, Carrasco, and Plezak, who we never even got to see because they didn't make it to the game three. How do you how do you lose that series? The Yankees are not going to do it. And then they put up like 20, 20 runs in two games. Like, all right, fuck me, I guess. Guess I don't know anything about baseball. Um, but as some, it depends on what kind of viewer you are, whether you're rewarded by something like this, you know? And I think we've been sort of trained in our sports watching world if you are the type of person who watches a lot of different sports, whether that be March Madness. And I hate to keep invoking March Madness because I feel like I'm doing Rob Manfred's job for him a little bit because like he planted this seed inception style. And now we're all like, it kind of was like March Madness when it really wasn't. It was just like a little bit more hectic than a normal was, first round of baseball. It was just a, br- a bracket. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's, all, that's all it was. <laughs> There's always a bracket though. Like, I, I, no, I know, but that's just the point, right? He was like, what if we add some teams? I mean, there, there are ways that this is like March Madness. You know, there's several games going on. It does feel a little hectic. You do have to kind of glance back and forth between different games and different screens and, you know, however you might be watching your March Madness. But the stakes are not the same for each individual game necessarily because you don't play a three-game series in March Madness. And in baseball, it's just a much more slow burn. I mean, we talked about this a million times. We don't need to relitigate this. But, you know, like I said, if you're the type of person who wants to watch all of a game, it's very hard to pay close attention to all of those games and just not feel a little burnout. You're like, what inning is this? What teams am I watching? And what game of the series is this? And it's hard to get that same feeling of paying close attention to the ins and outs of a baseball game that you might have gotten in, I think, what were the two best games of the first round, which is Yankees-Cleveland game two which I watched pretty much all of and mostly paid attention to that game. And San Diego, St. Louis game two as well, which was the comeback game with the two Tatis home runs, the two Will Myers home runs and the Machado home run. Those were the games that I watched closer than all of the rest of the games and was rewarded for it. But if you happen to be watching a different team at that time, like there is stuff that you might miss. So I see where you're coming from. Yeah. I'm, you know, far be it from me to advocate for less baseball. Just just more better portioned out baseball. That's all I'm asking for. Yeah, I don't totally know why they couldn't have played through this weekend, you know, and like made it a little less hectic. Like why give no days off between games but three days off between series? Yeah. I can't speculate, you know. You're also now in an interesting boat where if you started your two best pitchers in games one and two and swept, then you're starting your two best pitchers again, and then your three and four pitchers haven't pitched for like over a week or like 10 days or almost two weeks in some cases. Like, I mean, I guess that's all the shit that you have to deal with if you want to win a World Series or whatever, but it's still a little weird. Like, you know, it's still a little weird in how it relates to how like regular baseball is played. Yeah, and I think... I found the conversations leading into the playoffs around how, oh, these playoffs might look a little bit more like the regular season. I found these these conversations funny, mostly because there's <laughs> not a chance in hell. Because playoff, dif- playoff baseball is just structured so differently that even like eliminating off days in the middle of a series 
is is not going to do close to enough to actually compel teams to play like it's the regular season because it's just vastly different and that's fine that's okay yeah i don't think the padres would be using nine pitchers in nine innings in the rubber match of an august series against the cardinals (laughs) yeah you mean you don't think the white Sox would take dane dunning out in the first inning without giving up a run only letting a (laughs) runner get to third wow no dude white Sox twitter had a meltdown over that because they ended up running out of pitchers more or less and losing the game but it's not like they ended up totally running out of pitchers and giving up 10 runs or anything like that i think the fact that they took out dane dunning and then brought in garrett crochet might have been the right move it might have been like a, a couple outs early you know or like a run or two early but also, how are you supposed to factor in the fact that Garrett Crochet is going to get hurt nine pitches in? And he might be able to give you two innings, if two full innings instead of like two outs. So, like, I don't know. Like, why are we, you don't need a Monday morning quarterback bullpen decisions. I think that Lucas Giolito should have appeared in that game. And the I fact, think so too. And the, and, and the fact that he didn't proves that a Jack lot about him. he was the better ace from yep. Harvard Westlake. That just really just tells me that he didn't want it. Even though Jack Flaherty lost game three. So does that make Max Freed the guy? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, another takeaway for me. I didn't miss the fans unless I thought actively about it and how there were no fans and remembered a time when there was fans. And at that moment, I missed the fans a lot. So... I feel like that's a maybe a convoluted way of saying it, but I didn't find myself thinking pitch in and pitch out. Damn, I wish there were fans here. But then I saw some highlights from last postseason, like, hey, remember when this happened? Or, hey, remember when Juan Soto beat the Brewers? Or, hey, remember when, you know, Zach Greinke pitched in Game 7 of the World Series, et cetera, et cetera? And I saw all the fans, and I was like, damn, I really miss the fans now that I think about it. So it's yeah, like a every, weird cognitive dissonance there. Every time they showed the, flat, the flashbacks, yeah. You'd think that the broadcast would want to stray away from that because then they come back to the regular broadcast and it's like Rick, Rick Sutcliffe is like rambling on about how he knows some players, you know, aunt's sister when he was in high school. And you're like, okay, Rick, who is weirdly entertaining, but, you know, he's not the worst part of the ESPN boots. I'd like to know why there weren't CGI fans. You know, like if this was a bit that Fox Sports was committed to, well, no games were on Fox. They were all on ESPN or Turner. Yeah, or on yeah TBS or ABC. Yeah, but ESPN is ABC. They're all owned by Disney. Whatever. God, I fucking hate capitalism. <laughs> I too hate monopolies. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe so Fox has the World Series usually, and they typically <laughs> Which, but, have. <laughs> but there's gonna be real fans there. So, well. Did you put the CGI fans in next to the real fans? Yeah, it's like a little buffer. Do you fill the seats? <laughs> I really hope they don't do that. I guess that would actually if, that would actually be really funny if there were CGI fans next to real fans. Yes, it'd be like um, it'd be like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, but it's like World Series Game Three. Right. Yeah. Exactly. A little Space Jam action. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think about the broadcast with no fans? I thought it was mostly fine. I think just because we have, like, we're so far through the looking glass at this point. The last 
two months of the baseball season, aka the entire baseball season, were just so out there, you know, like so just next level alternate universe shit that just almost felt normal, mm-hmm. tame, I dare say. Like, and not in a bad way. Like, I enjoyed watching it. And I felt like the tension was was really there. Um, and frankly, a lot of that came from the players, who it seemed like were really stepping up to the moment, you know? Which is, like, you know, a very, like, broadcaster-ism. But, like, it felt like they you were really got to reach back here in this moment if you're Luis Patino. They all they all really came to play, as they say. No, but it felt like like it actually seemed like they were excited on the stage, you know, and had the energy coursing through them. Watching Lucas Giolito, I was like, I don't want him oh, to a throw nut. a perfect game right now. But Jesus Christ, he's like this out man there is shaking his shoulders in. on the mound and pacing in the dugout. Absolutely, yeah, Un- underrated. He he's taken some tips from Max Scherzer. I mean, Tatis is out here bat flipping for no one but his teammates, right? Right, exactly. So it just goes to show you that athlete brain can be recalibrated for any moment. You know, we talk about this a lot in basketball is that some of the most intense video of some of the most intense game footage you'll ever see is like off-season pickup games at the local Equinox or whatever. And I think that's true of the NBA Finals right now. And I think that was true of the first round. And I, you know, you have to commend the players for that. But there were a lot of moments where I was like, God damn it, don't you think it would be pretty freaking amazing if there were fans here for this? Like, the Tatis bat flip, that, with fans, is Batista level. And without fans, it's like, okay, you don't hear the roar. And that's another thing I will say, is that we've had fake crowd noise all year, and then they hit home runs, and there's no roar. Like, you've had 62 games to practice this. And I get that it's very hard, and I'm not trying to fault the people who are pressing the buttons. But if you're going to do fake crowd noise, it just calls attention. It highlights the fact that you're not doing it right. When I know in my brain that if Tatis hit that home run, especially the second one, and bat flip like that, you're getting a jet engine revving the second he makes contact with the ball. You're not waiting to see if the ball goes over the fence. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and what I will say actually is that I think the the Oakland A's have been among the teams that have actually done pretty well with the the fake crowd noise. Like you can listen to it and you can kind of tell like it sounds a little like tinny and hollow and not real. But like there's the ebb and flow, you know, when there's a strike thrown versus a ball thrown versus a single up the middle and you're right. It's all about those those dynamics because if it's just this kind of consistent hum, I I'm just like this just feels a little bit dystopian, you know? Like what is what is that hum of a crowd noise? Are those are those the workers toiling in the fields? Like I don't really want to know what's going on outside of these walls. They're singing for the union makes us strong. <laughs> um okay, other takeaways for you before I yell about Carlos Correa? Uh, the A's get no respect. Oh my God! Big A's podcast so far for us. From the man who called them frauds just one week ago. (laughs) I the it is the playoffs, and not just the A's. The you know the 
teams like the White Sox as well, even even the Reds Braves to an extent, right? Like it was very clear who the the national uh, oh, broadcasts were interested in yeah. in having it's, on it was like clear prime who time. Rob's number one boys were right exactly like you got to make sure that the the cardinals are playing a night game i mean obviously the yankees um heard of them the franchise yeah yeah, yeah 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 they're they're hanging around um the the astros as well i mean i think they had like afternoon games um but like you know doing stuff like placing the A's White Sox at noon, three days in a row. Noon that local, shit stinks. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Same with you know. Same with doing that. Same with doing that for the Marlins and the Cubs. Never has it been more apparent than when you have like nothing else to pay attention to than when the baseball games start. That the baseball games start based on like you know advertisers' interests. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> it has nothing to do with competition or nothing to do with fairness or. You know, nothing to do with local time zones, even or an interest in showcasing the teams or anything. Yeah, like or that. in like building up collective interest for the league. It's like literally, right, right? And you know, I feel like MLB gets hammered for this a lot, but basketball does this shit too. Like, there's a lot of jokes about the NBA TV series in the first round of the playoffs, but there's like the you know, there's a series between two teams that no one is going to watch. It's usually like three six matchup or like the two seven matchup that's like shitty, and you know who's going to win. It's like the Orlando Magic always get relegated to the NBA TV matchup. The Detroit Pistons. And if you are going to make it a March Madness vibe, you probably should level that out a little bit. You know, it shouldn't just be like, let's move, let's move the heavens and earth to get the Yankees in prime time. But then again, like, they are the Yankees, you know? More people do want to watch them. <laughs> I guess. Kind of. But I don't know. I I think that if your goal is to expand the postseason because you want to give more teams a chance and you want to drum up interest around the game, like you said, I think it makes sense to kind of um, even the playing field a little bit. I think where there was room was it didn't necessarily have to be that the Yankees were not in primetime. It could have been that there were a couple teams in primetime at the same time just like there were seven teams playing during the day. So like, you know, I had to watch four games at once at noon Pacific, but I only had one game to watch at six Pacific. And so it's like, we see what you're doing and that you're clearing the slate for the Yankees. It's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy that of course, everyone's going to watch that game. It's in prime time and there's no other game on. Yeah. Although they were going against the NBA finals, which is tough. You know, I mean, who am I to, to criticize, baseball broadcast i know we 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 never do that on this podcast and i certainly don't have at least two more items of note to talk about in this podcast as related to national baseball broadcasts but hold that for a second because i'm excited for this one the first i want to talk about carlos correa i need to talk about carlos correa what is he doing (laughs) it's very big has been surrounded by yes men for years energy you know where it's like you got it Correa like no 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 no. yeah you guys they're the bad guys out here you guys are the real unsung heroes and I I think that like a guy like Alex Bregman probably encourages that a little bit too you know he's got his fiery personality I'm sure he's up there hyping Correa up like yeah go up there go tell him go go tell those fans off now Alex Bregman would never actually get up there and say something like that Um, so he just he just has Correa do his 
dirty work for him. Um, yeah, dude, just take the L. Be the villain. It's okay. It's okay to be the villain. The Yankees. But I think that's what he is doing, though. Like, I think I think this is a little bit of villainry. It it kind of is, but it's like not self aware villainry, you know. Like, and, and that's fair. He hasn't been through the cycle yet. I think right now it's kind of like, hey, what are you? It's it's too earnest. I think that's what it is. Okay. Yeah. He like genuinely wants to know, right? Because the quote that he said was like, you know, all the all the fans hate us. Everyone's hating on us. No one wants to see us win. But now that we've won, what are they all going to say now? Right? What are all the fans going to say now? A lot of and fans answer, have a lot to and say. Answer, and the answer to that is about the same thing they've been saying for the last fuck, nine months. Fuck you guys. Go <laughs> shove it. You guys finished yes. under 500? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Also, you know, Jose Altuve barely over 200 this year. Yeah. I, I will say, though, he is sort of like doing a service for all of the other teams that also cheated, you know, namely like the Red Sox cheated their way to the world series just 365 days later. And, you know, the Yankees like had all of these internal dossiers that were not released about whether or not they stole steins. And also there has been a little bit of a, um, a trickling out of Astros players onto other teams that had then cheated on that 2017 team. So yeah, the Astros were playing the twins and the Astros cheated, and then Carlos Correa said this afterwards, like, what are you going to tell us now? You know, you, you got anything to say to us now? It's like, yeah, Marwin Gonzalez was on the other side who also cheated on the 2017 team, and I'm like, you know, maybe Carlos Correa is just taking one for the team. You know, he's getting out there like a human shield kind of situation. I, and I guess respect to him for that. He's like what Rob does for the owners. <laughs> <laughs> Remember when Carlos Correa was like supposed to be the best player in baseball? Yeah. He's not like the top prospect and was like going to be the guy, like was going to be was supposed to be basically what, what Tatis Fernando is. Tatis is now. Yeah. Well, I think it's very funny and karmic justice that he fell short of that. You know, like I I <laughs> I think it's hilarious that he's not that good. And he probably is good. Like he, he probably just had a bad year or whatever, and he's gonna have a good career, but he was among that crop of shortstops, you know, in, in twenty seventeen when we first started doing this podcast, it was like, Holy shit, look at all of these amazing shortstops. We've now migrated that to be definitely the most important position and we're seeing the benefits of that. We're seeing, you know, Seeker is up, Correa is up, even Ahmed Rosario back then was the top prospect in baseball. And you had Lindor already. And then, you know, Labor. Tatis Glaber Torres was a shortstop prospect and came up, but he was playing second at the time because they still had Didi there. But, you know, these middle infield prospects, and it was sort of like the golden generation for young shortstops. And all of that turned out to be true. And then Carlos Correa has been kind of disappointing since then. So it's like, hey, man, were you really that good or were you kind of just cheating a little bit? <laughs> Right. I mean, is it any surprise that 2017 was arguably his best year so far? Is it? Is that a coincidence? Really makes you wonder. Really makes you think. Okay. Do you have any other takeaways, Bobby? I don't. I don't. My last takeaway is just I want to talk about the broadcast booths because this happens every year where we go from the, we go from, we get whiplash from loving our local broadcast to absolutely despising the national broadcasts. And the national broadcasts don't do a good enough job, although they are set up to fail. But you have outdone me. 
in this takeaway. I want you to just 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 take it away. Just take it away. Take the floor. So you and I watch a good amount of baseball. You could say more baseball than the average person. We we generally, generally speaking, we know what to look for when going into the game. We know what outcomes are good and what outcomes are bad. However, if you were a new fan to the game, I am and you tuned in to watch the 2020 playoffs and listened to one Alex Rodriguez talk to you about good outcomes and bad outcomes, I am very curious what your perception of baseball um, would be. And I'd just like to read you a few words that Alex Rodriguez said. Um, he strung them together in you know in certain orders in ways that could make sense if you if you I don't know close your ears um I I just need you to give me give me a read on some of these like tell me where they are um like on the on the Scott Boris metaphor scale do you buy them I I'm I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go into these okay okay well I'll do a thumbs down thumbs in the middle thumbs up situation right okay here's the first one home runs are empty calories. I'm so glad you started with this one. Thumbs all the way down. What does that even mean? So, real quick, I'd like to point out that Alex Rodriguez had close to 700 home runs in his major league career. You could argue that it is the thing that he became most known for was hitting a lot of home runs. There is a way. You would be you could you would be wrong. But you could make the claim that walks are empty calories or, you know, two out hits, two out singles are empty calories or, you know, weak dribblers up the middle are empty calories. You're padding your stats. You're not actually really doing anything in terms of overall gains for the team, overall fitness. We want to talk about calories. But home runs are like superfood. They are like calories in the sense that you're helping your own stats which is i think what he means and nutrition in the sense that you're helping your team stats it's quite (laughs) literally the only play in baseball where you can help your own stats equally to the team's stats it's really like when you look at a home run in a vacuum versus like every other baseball stat every other possible outcome of the at bat is it controversial to say that a home run is pretty universally a good thing. Like, is there a scenario in which let's say the Mets are playing, you know, it's a, it's a pivotal moment in the game and Pete Alonzo hits a home run. Is there any scenario in which you think to yourself, fuck, I wish he'd taken it the other way. Obviously not. (laughs) It is the maximum points you can score on one outcome. It's like hitting a three-point shot in basketball. If you shoot it and it goes in, it's good. Period. Yes. It's good. Yeah. You can say, yep. hey, maybe that was a tough shot, and next time you might not want to take that shot in that manner. Just as you can say, in baseball, if you chase a pitch up high and end up hitting it out, great, but maybe next time you might not do the same. You might have gotten slightly lucky. Just like if you're, you know, if you're not a great three-point shooter and you shoot a contested shot and it goes in, okay. We say, no, 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 yes. Just like if you chase a pitch out of the zone, you say, no, 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 what are you doing? And then if it goes out of the park, you say, yes. But ultimately, you're saying, yes, 
because you scored as many runs as possible on that specific play. There is no way for a home run to be bad. There is no way possible. You could really truly galaxy brain this where you could be like, hey, you know this pitcher has kind of lost it a little bit. They've lost command and you don't want him to get pulled yet. So you draw a walk and hope that the next guy hits a home run. But you would be psychotic (laughs) for thinking that. So I I actually want to take this quote straight into the next one. Because taken together, it I think the the initial quote makes even less sense. Uh, to me, RBI is still the single most important stat in baseball, followed by runs scored. So, I feel like he's been body snatched. The 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 stat actually both of those stats are empty are calories. outcomes of home runs. Well, true, you're right. These are both things that happen when you get... So is the thinking that you should both get RBIs and run scores, but not via the home run? Because that's a cheap way of doing it? It just makes no sense. Like, uh, this is why I say he's been body snatched. Because it's it's genuinely the exact inverse of the player he was. Yes. Yeah. And I don't know whether it's just like he's trying to appeal to like small ball baseball fans and he's trying to like hedge a little bit and, you know, not seem like the unrelatable super duper star in the booth. That's like, yeah, well, dummies, you should just hit home runs. Like, I don't think that would be interesting either. But to actively try to undermine the importance of home runs is both intellectually dishonest and frankly offensive to the viewership. Because it's implying that the viewers don't know that hitting home run, home runs is good. It's also just like, again, if this is your introduction to baseball and like baseball stats, how do you how do you square all of this stuff with each other? You know, how do you sit here and be like, okay, home runs, bad. We don't like home runs. So I should root against home runs. However, when yeah, he hits a home run. You need to get a corkboard. Start we get, things we get up RBIs to it, like- in runs and runs and those things are good. So I shouldn't root for it. However, if there are more runs and RBIs scored on this play than than empty calories digested, then maybe it's a net good. I yeah, I've I don't know. There's no way to make it make sense. Okay, what's the next? There's no way to make. I believe this game will be decided by a mistake that's already happened or will happen in the future. (laughs) Okay, that's that's thumbs in the middle for me. This is kind of like middle of the road, like, you know, broadcaster analysis where you don't quite know what you're going to say, you know? And so you're just kind of like, the team that wins is going to ultimately going to be the one who can push the most runs across the plate. Right. Like, yes, you're you're probably right about that. The hitter, the, the pitcher is going to make a mistake pitch that's going to be capitalized on, or the, a player will make an error. It's going to lead to a run. Or. And it may not have happened yet, but it may happen in the future. Or the pitcher makes a mistake pitch that the batter swings through, thus making a mistake. Right. Exactly. Yes. Now, if the pitcher makes a mistake pitch, but it's a home run, is that a bad outcome for both sides? You're both sidesing this one. I like it. Right. Yes, I think I think it's important to both sides. Everything. Both sides Alex have Rodriguez. mucked up the situation. If the pitcher makes a mistake and the batter hits a home run, I mean, it's equal of you know. 
we right, should start wanna... a podcast segment called empty calories <laughs> yes please i don't know what the concept is for it yet but i'm trademarking that um okay i'm gonna give you these last two quotes together one slightly more asinine than the other um but they are uh they're similar in spirit because Alex Rodriguez has a lot of feels about this subject. Only if you want to win, you bunt. Hmm. Okay. O- only if you want to win, you bunt. You bunt. Hmm. I'm gonna. We're gonna move past that one. Okay. That might be the most asinine one, actually. Uh, bunting is like putting in golf. Wow. You know, no, it's not. I, you <laughs> there's know, no way that it is like putting <laughs> in golf. You know what's like putting in golf? Hitting a home run. In the sense <laughs> yes. that you complete the play, and that's the best score that you're going to get for that play. Yeah. <laughs> Bunting is oh, yeah. like two-putting. Bunting would be like leaving it up short and then putting again, thus adding another stroke. Yes, exactly. Bunting is like missing a putt. <laughs> By the way, for, let the record state that that was thumbs down, thumbs down, two in a row. Th- th- <laughs> thumbs down to all of these, if we're being quite honest. No, I like the one about the past and the future. It's very tenet. Man. Those are, these are bad. These are really just like, don't do this 101. Right. I mean, I mean, it is to the point where for series is, is A-Rod going to be in calling any more games at this point? I don't know. All right. Well, find that out for me, will you? Let me know if I need to figure out how to sync up my radio broadcast. I almost feel like I want him to be in at this point. Like he's just giving us so much content. Right. Exactly. Like if you kind of lean into the absurdity of it, it's, you know, maybe he's the perfect broadcaster for 2020. The problem is is that he's also like when he actually does use his experience and skill set, it's pretty great. Like he's pretty good at breaking down like what a batter is seeing, what a pitcher is going to do. I wish he would just do that the whole time. He's not a dumb guy, but it's like, yeah, like you were saying, he does this thing where he kind of, you know, tries to be like, you know, I'm just an old guy. Don't do what I did. It's the the kids got to know fundamentals these days. I did it the wrong way. You don't want to do it how how I did it. You, Self-deprecating you really wanna... is only self-deprecating if you actually mean it. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just like faux cockiness where you're like, I might have hit exactly 692 home runs, Alex. The youngest player to ever reach 500 was definitely on a course before my injuries and suspension. But, and it's like, dude, can you just get to the point? Just like, just give us more of that knowledge, you know? Because he was really, he was good in the Yankees game with that. Yeah, and yeah, he was. I weirdly feel like if he was in a better booth, the play-by-play person could draw more of that out of him. And him being in the ESPN booth is almost like the worst case scenario because there's just so much silence and he gets nervous and he's like, how do I relate this to bunting? And it's like, <laughs> dude, just, just cool it, you know? It's baseball. You've been around this your whole life. Yeah, he gets teed up by Matt Vaskersian talking about how like um, how Zach Britton is just taking a long walk around the mound right now, and uh, Zach Britton used to play for the Orioles. Now he's on. Now he's on the Yankees. Anyway, A Rod, I'm going to give you 15 seconds to pepper in your insights. 
Go. And Arad's like, this reminds me of walking a golden retriever on a cold <laughs> autumn morning. And you're like, what are you saying? <laughs> All right, let's go. Let's uh, let's take a quick break and come back and do three up, three down. She don't use jelly or any of these. She uses Vaseline. Vaseline. It's three up, three down. It's the second week of the baseball playoffs. Alex, let's go. Kick us off. What's down for you this week? No, let's start with that. What's up for you this week? The Oakland A's. Heard oh, of them. Heard of them. Heard of them. Heard of them. They, they play baseball. They have some nice uh, Kelly Green uniforms. Um, this is going to be a fun series. In part because it feels like the A's kind of feel like the people's team at this point in the AL. Like if you're a casual fan, you're not, what are you going to hop on the Astros bandwagon? I don't even think. That's just a truck with no bed. Like, there's no bandwagon to get on. It's just like them <laughs> driving. <laughs> um, so their series against the Astros will be fun. And also, I am going to be a complete and total wreck the entire time. At least it's five games this time instead of three. I, yeah, I guess drag the misery out a little bit more. Who's starting what any I needed, of these games Five for days Oakland. of anxiety instead of three. What'd you say? I said, who's going to start any of these games for Oakland? Just gonna roll, roll Mike Fires back out there. Let's do Mike Fires. Why not? That that seems to work out well every time. At least this time, Lazardo won't face a team that's literally never lost to a left-handed pitcher. So that's a good, that's a positive <laughs> for you. <laughs> what is uh? What's first up for you this week? Funny that you mentioned that the A's are the people's team because I have written as my first up this week the people's team, the San Diego Padres. <laughs> Uh, we've talked so much about the Padres on this podcast that I don't need to even belabor this point. So let's just move to your number two. Go dads. Go dads. America, a country that um, is very supportive of their fathers and definitely has no issues with that. Second up uh, on my list is a continuation in the, the story of Mariah Carey and Derek Jeter's budding romance. Carrie's new book is out. The meaning of Mariah Carey. No free ads. And uh, no, no free ads, except for Mariah Carey, who can get all the free ads she damn well pleases. Um, Mariah Carey, come on, tipping pitches. We already learned that she's written a couple, a couple songs about the the Yankee captain, but um, but we're getting more details by the day. This is the most I've visited TMZ in like consecutive weeks, maybe ever in my life. Um, obviously they met at a, at a dinner party in 97 and they shared a warm, slow, intoxicating kiss on Jeter's roof. Obviously. Which inspired Mariah Carey's song, The Roof. Um, but they didn't take it further cause, cause neither of them had wanted to cheapen their romance by, by cheating on Mariah Carey's marriage, which I mean, uh, yeah, that's fair. That's a, that's a reasonable, uh, that's a that's a pretty good reason to halt your budding romance with someone. That's a factor. However, that doesn't mean that Derek Jeter didn't, I don't know, make it to third base with Mariah Carey. Whoa. Let's say. Mariah Carey says everything was so new and sweet, down to the smooth texture of his honey-dipped skin. 
Mariah Carey it was how it was is supposed going to for it. Feel. The experience was so sensual. Derek Jeter was actually the the second man that Mariah Carey had slept with at the time. So it was it was new to her, you know, and Derek Jeter clearly gave her an experience memorable enough that she is talking about it 23 years later. Is this what celebrity books are all like? Just describing know, the time right? that you had sex with another celebrity? Like, I guess maybe that sells copies. If I right. were to write a memoir of my own life, I don't think that I would be <laughs> describing the second, you know, the time that I had sex with someone in 1997. I, yes, I agree. But as we learned last week, this is celebrities just generally tend to trade things, whether it's houses or or uh, bodily fluids. Like, it's really just all out there in the open. Yeah. You know, there uh-huh. is... There's definitely a Tinder for celebrities. Sure. I feel like one of the least qualified people to say whether there is or not. I think that, I think that we both have zero experience with that. <laughs> Although, if you know of the, the celebrity dating app out there, and you can get us an inside look at it, drop it in our DMs. Okay, let's move on to my number two. Although, I will shout out last second Mike Rowley, who said on Twitter... I'm surprised to hear that Derek Jeter is such a sensual lover, given his disdain for playing third base. Okay, number two for me is that the Cubs lost. (laughs) I just think it's so funny. That's the tweet. I think it's so (laughs) funny, because I think that they are so self-congratulatory as a franchise. I think they think they're so much better than everybody else. I think they think their shit doesn't stink. And they're just as bad as all of the other evil empire franchises in Major League Baseball. They're just as steeped in, you know, honor and history as the Cardinals. They're just as rich as the Red Sox and not really the Yankees and Dodgers, but they're close. They're just as evil as any other baseball team, given their transactions for Araldis Chapman and Daniel Murphy and their handling of the Addison Russell situation. And they just kind of get a little bit of a pass. And it's not Cubs fans' fault. You know, I'm sorry to gab. It's not their fault. Because, you know, they're at the mercy of their ownership just as every fan base is. And they probably have experienced more pain because of all of the things that I'm describing than I have. But I just want to say... Have you, have you, you, ever, you ever heard of the curse? You ever heard of the, uh, the Cubs curse? We get it. We get it. We get it. Okay. You won the World Series. Let's move on. Okay. It's been four years. But I just think it's very satisfying to see them lose, especially to the undefeated in the playoffs, Miami Marlins. And it is unfortunate because stripped of all of their baggage, which you can't do to Major League Baseball teams because that is effectively what they are is just baggage that happens to play a sport um i really like a lot of their players yeah i really I enjoy a lot of the people right like i love watching javi baez who's no longer a good baseball player and i love watching uh and i love watching jason hayward and who's actually I think that a good anthony, baseball player again. he's actually a good baseball player and i think anthony rizzo is pretty tight and they have labor king chris bryant right so like <laughs> overall right. It's just it's a, the, it's a generally fun, but it's just the the stench around exactly them. the stench on the club. Yeah. 
And also, how to articulate this without it turning into a 20-minute conversation about team building and spending and whatever. <laughs> but they built this team up by tanking for a long time. They built it up. They had this amazing young core. And Theo got every congratulatory piece written in fucking media and baseball media that you could possibly imagine. He was crowned baseball overlord by everybody and their brother. And guess what they've done since then? They've slowly taken apart the team and made it worse year over year. And guess what? Now they lost to the Marlins, who nobody expected to make the playoffs. They had like a 7% chance to make the playoffs. And they got swept by them in the first round at home with Kyle Hendricks and Hugh Darvish on the mound. They scored one run in two games. Congratulations on your vaunted offense from 2015 and 2016. You've completely dismantled it. Great work, Theo. Get their asses. Okay, what's next for you? Last up for me this week is the most important thing that happened this week, which is Francisco Lindor shoving the owner's shit right back in their faces. The Cleveland baseball team and Francisco Lindor have been going back and forth trying to secure Lindor a extension or not secure him an extension. If you look at it from the point of view of the club, trying is doing a lot of work in that sentence. (laughs) (laughs) However, Francisco Lindor was asked point blank this past week. Could Cleveland afford you afford your asking price? And he said, of course it's a billion dollar team. He was asked, do you think uh, do you think COVID is going to have a negative uh, impact on long term deals? His response: uh, Did you see MLB just signed a three billion dollar TV contract? Go the fuck off, Francisco Lindor. Come on tipping pitches. Seriously, I say without an ounce of irony. I l- this is this is your space, I, my friend. This is it. This is it. Shout out to Hearing Bradford. a Major League Baseball player say this is stunning. Go Shout ahead. out to Bradford William Davis, former guest of the podcast, who directly asked, asked Lindor after they were eliminated if Cleveland could or should be spending more money, and he just laughed and didn't answer the question. <laughs> I mean, big it same. is so, so big time over between him and Cleveland. He is so far gone. There is no and chance that he stays. And he deserves so much better. Even if that means the shutters, Los Angeles Dodgers, or anywhere else. But he he really deserves better than to be screwed over by Paul Dolan. So As you know what? I'm do. I'm rooting for him to get his bag. Okay, my third up this week is um Ronald Acuna. Well, the Braves they swept the Reds kind of sad i was lightly rooting for the reds support them i think they're a fun team they have a great you know had a great pitching staff this year they were my they were my um additional team that we drafted but i was relatively satisfied when i saw that um you know we're past the 45 minute mark so i saw that trevor bauer was tweeting out videos about him dominating atlanta and all the highlights from his game one start where he struck out 12 or whatever over seven and change. And um, Ronald Acuna responded on Twitter by just tweeting out a gif of um, Memphis Grizzlies center, Memphis Grizzlies at the time of the gif, center Mark Gasol doing the Conor McGregor arm shake celebration that Trevor Bauer loves to do as he strikes people off and walks off the mound. 
with the caption, go home with like 10 M's and, and 20 E's at the end and exclamation points. And you know what I say to that? Ron Acuna talks shit because he hit a rope of a double off Bauer and the Braves ended up winning the game. So uh, Trevor Bauer remains only interested in talking about himself and not how he actually and not how the team actually does and um, just wants to make himself the hero of a story that nobody really cares that he's telling. Yep, that sounds about right. Uh, his his quote about how um, how the the pitchers can't take any of the fault because they did their job is I I'm really not sure how a current teammate of his has not like gotten to a physical altercation with him at this point I'm because big rooting I for some some Bryce Harper um, Jonathan <laughs> Papelbon energy between him and a teammate. That would be yes, iconic come on. for the Just podcast. Just go off on him, Joey Votto, please. Well, he's not going to be with the Reds again, so. I know. Goodbye, Trevor Bauer. Okay, let's move to down. First down for me this week, in-game interviews. Hmm. Tired. They're not interesting. We don't really get anything good out of them. Here's the thing. So this stems from, surprise, surprise, the series between the A's and the White Sox, in which... The broadcast brought on, uh, during the first game, they, they brought on Mark Canna to chat while he was playing left field for, you know, half an inning. And the following game, they brought on Ramon Laureano to talk, which, and that may be a bit of a strong word, because he didn't do much talking, um, because he didn't really seem interested in in talking with the, the broadcaster about what was going through his head trying to catch a fly ball um, because, you know, it's the playoffs and he plays center field and the game is going on right now. It's, it's hard to overstate how absurd this is. It, it, it's pretty, it's pretty ridiculous. And many people were pointing out, you know, the teams agree to this, the players even to a certain extent uh, agree to this. And to that, I say that's fine, but from a bro- purely from like, Purely from like a broadcasting perspective, what what is this bringing to you to your broadcast that you didn't already have? Right, like you thought that post game interviews were bad and filled with platitudes. These are guys whose whose mind are not even with you right now. Right, Ramon Laureano very clearly did not want to be giving an interview at this point. So why even why even pretend like this is a good idea? I love having players mic'd up when they're in the field. I think it's awesome. I also think we shouldn't talk to them while they're doing it because they're doing their job. Please give me Ramon Laureano mic'd up for nine innings, but not with an earpiece in his ear. Yeah. Right? I want to hear the hot mic moments, not the, so that was, that was a throw, wasn't it? How'd you, how'd you, how'd you make that one so fast? I get the sense that the players can't hear what the broadcasters are saying. Like, Right. Whether that's because like the technology it's hard to hear or whatever, they're just not in it, you know, like you can be on the phone with someone, but if you're like driving or you're walking through a busy intersection, like you're not really processing what they're saying. So you're not really hearing it. That's number one. Number two, I, I just am going to co-sign what you said about it's not interesting because they are in the middle of a play and literally can't say words. And number three, 
to me, this is the symptom of a problem, not necessarily the problem of itself. And the problem is that they just don't have enough interesting things to say as a broadcast booth to fill the fucking air. Because you would never see Gary Keith and Ron interviewing Dom Smith mid-game because they're fine on their own talking about the actual game, you know? And they can interview him on a podcast or they can interview him on the field after they win or um or you know steve gelbs can do an interview with him in the dugout or the manager in the dugout or whatever it is and even those are really stupid but it's just a gimmick and it's the type of gimmick that you wouldn't need or even want if the broadcast was entertaining for the rest of the nine innings right exactly and and baseball players like this stuff is automatic for them. So the idea that they are going to be able to give some sort of unique insight into the current batter, you know, like at one point it was like, so Nick Madrigal's up, you play him a little differently. And Loriana was like, I, I mean, you know, shade the other way a little bit. And that, and that was it. Right. Because like, this is the stuff that is kind of coming. I mean, that specifically is in reference to like positioning and it's predetermined, whatever. But like this stuff comes automatic to baseball players. You're not going to get them to tell you the mechanics of how they made that catch because I'm sure they couldn't explain it. I don't want them to try to explain it. And this is the problem. This is another problem though with like having former players in the booth who actually aren't that interesting because they should be the ones sharing this insight, but doing it in a more intriguing and, you know, compelling way. Like this is why Tony Romo is good at broadcasting NFL games because he's just saying anything that anyone on the field could tell you, but he's saying it in an excited way. He's like, here's why this is cool. And Ramon Laureano is not invested in making it sound cool because he's not a broadcaster. He's not being paid yeah. to do this. He's being paid it's to catch that pop-up. <laughs> yeah. And I think that there's like the desire for this got a little bit overblown because we've seen this happen in the past all-star, all-star game. games, which is fine and cool and fun. Cause that game means nothing. And everyone there is kind of just already having a good time. So if you want to do it during then cool, but to act like you're going to get anything interesting out of a mid game playoff interview is just guys, let's, let's cut the crap. Huh? Call a spade a spade. Okay, first down for me. We've already done plenty on it. It's just discourse around bunting. So let's just move. Yeah. Let's just power right through. I'll <laughs> just do my number two instead. Okay. Uh, ten teams were contracted from minor league baseball last week. They just snuck it in. You know, maybe this was the real reason they wanted 16 teams in the first round of the playoffs. Everybody was too distracted, but uh, it was made official on September 29th, I believe. The agreement between Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball officially lapsed, and Major League Baseball has made the decision to no longer put prospects in the Appalachian League, and there are future leagues coming, including the New York Penn League, which has the Staten Island Yankees and the Brooklyn Cyclones, two teams that, you know, if you you live in New York City like Alex, you can go watch, and is a fun day at the ballpark, and much cheaper than seeing the Yankees or the Mets. Um, so all 10 teams from the Appalachian League are no longer going to feature professional players. They will feature collegiate players over the summer, um, you know, playing to stay sharp. And in theory, they are prospects as well, but only some of them will actually be drafted and, you know, become part of affiliated ball. 
And it's just, they're trying to pitch it as like, hey, it's still going to be baseball in your community, but it'll be slightly different because we want to keep, you know, our organization slightly smaller and keep our prospects closer to home and develop them in different ways. And that's just, that's all bullshit, man. It's not minor league baseball to have collegiate players go play for like eight weeks over the summer to like keep their shoulder muscles warm before right. they like there go is, into their next collegiate season. Like that's just, there is zero emotional investment in that. Right. Like, and also I, if I wanted to watch college baseball, I would just watch college baseball. Yeah. <laughs> this is not the same. These two things are not the same. And so, yeah, it's disingenuous. It's a bummer. And the biggest bummer is that they've only taken away 10 teams and they're planning on taking away 40. So we're down to 150 major league team, or we're down to 150 minor league teams. And uh, we were at 160 last week and we will be down to 120 likely before next season starts. Sucks. Not a fan. That's a, that's a thumbs down from me. Okay. What's next down for you? Next down for me on the, uh, on the topic of ill-advised plans from major league baseball. I believe we mentioned it last week. It's a long, but, it's a long uh, list on the Wikipedia page. You know, we needed. I know, I know, right? I like, I can say that, and it's kind of nice because you still don't quite know what's coming. Good thing they um, invented infinite scroll. <laughs> <laughs> Eleven thousand five hundred tickets going to be put on sale oh. for the NLCS in Arlington, Texas. Let's go, baby! It's the bubble. Um, famously bubbles so, let everything in from the outside right yes uh, that's true also famously um the pandemic's over yes i have it's, heard that it actually is it actually is not um infecting anyone anymore least of all i mean you know the guy who would be on top of this being the president of the united states he i think has um has taken lots of precautions with this and and as a result the the pandemic is over it's gone and so i i think it's good that we're going to have fans back in the stadium um because why not right why yes. 11,000 people we certainly have not seen other sports leagues try something similar to this and fail right right it's not like the national football league has uh, has ran into any issues at all with having fans at their games or even even teams contracting the virus or or teams yeah it's so bad it's so bad and you know what i will i will shout out again craig calcaterra in his daily newsletter called cup of coffee wrote that i think very you know intelligently and saliently that there is almost no decision in the entire history of the Rob Manfred era as commissioner and even the late Bud Selig era, but more so the Manfred era that you can't explain by saying, yes, this is the option that makes them more money. This is the, the, the only viable option that makes them more money. And that's what, that's what this is. Like they can get away with doing this. I hate to say it, but they can and will get away with doing this. People are not going to tune out from the NLCS because there's 11,500 fans there. We'll all just remark on Twitter how weird it feels and how uncomfortable it is and how unsafe it is and how nobody would suggest that they do this except for the owners and uninformed people. So yeah. Okay, my final down this week, and this is a tough note to end on, but a note 
fitting given the magnanimous nature of this figure. Bob Gibson died yesterday. Um, I don't know. What can we say on a podcast segment about Bob Gibson? He's one of the most legendary pitchers in the history of the game. He is, as Dave Stewart put on Twitter, the number one option of the Black Aces. He is a Cardinals legend. He's one of the greatest pitchers to ever play the game, but he is also one of the most powerful figures in the history of the game, a vicious competitor, a great human being. I I feel like almost mythical in the stories that you read about him, where you hear all of these quotes where he's like, he would knock his grandmother down if she stood too close to the plate. And you're just like, wow, I just an era of baseball where like that was a normal thing that people did and said and acted <laughs> like, and it was like kind of fun. And, you know, he is aside from being one of the greatest pitchers of all time. It's just unbelievably crushing for them to lose him in this moment to cancer. And for the Cardinals organization to have just lost Lou Brock, which I feel like we didn't even really talk about much on this podcast because it happened like in between episodes and we should have probably talked about it more than we did. But for them to lose both those guys in this same year in this same year is hard hard to state. Like the the amount of legacy that is no longer the amount of legacy that those two guys carried throughout the history of this game, it cannot be overstated. And, you know, I, the baseball world, I am confident because this is what the baseball world does, will carry on their legacy um, appropriately. Because if there's one thing that I can say that I do love about the baseball community, it's that you know, we have reverence for those monumental figures in history, even if we're not always living that reverence as best as we can. We do have reverence for those figures. And you saw the outpouring of it on Twitter yesterday when Bob Gibson died. So RIP Bob Gibson, there will probably never be another pitcher like him, especially given the way that starting pitching kind of doesn't exist in the game like that anymore it's not the guy that's like i will not give up the ball i am going to either hit this person or strike this person out that does it doesn't exist anymore and um it's cool to read about it's cool to hear about and it's it's we can all take a lesson from him and maybe you know you you and i alex can do a more in-depth conversation about what some of these figures that we've lost in the last couple years have meant to this game because that's not something that we always talk about on this show but I feel like maybe we should and could talk about it more just because of the foundation that these guys have left behind for us to even, you know, think about the game in this way, think critically about the game, think about how the game operates within the larger context of our country. Yeah, Gibson's on-field accomplishments were astonishing and even more so when you contextualize it with the era in which he pitched um which was um fraught with racial tension to uh be polite about it um but even from a purely baseball perspective there will never be like you said another pitcher like him it is it's really incredible to look at his postseason resume uh, this is courtesy of andrew simon who uh who writes for mlb.com nine games started Eight complete games, three shutouts, uh, seven wins. Wins mean nothing, but seven wins. Um, 81 innings pitched and 
92 strikeouts in those 81 innings. I mean, it's just like like looking at the the game logs, right? Eight innings, 10 innings, nine 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 innings. What? Yeah. And you know... That's the... We glorified Madison Bumgarner for like pitching a couple innings on three days rest. <laughs> I know. Alex comes out and says, baseball is soft now. No, but... <laughs> You know, I've talked about this a couple times in, you know, uh, in relatively vague terms, but the, and I talked about this when Seaver died, but the thing that is so cool about baseball is that you can kind of string the current generation, you can string people back all the way to our rich history of this game. And Gibson is another shining example of that. You know, Jack Flaherty, when, He's heard the news that Gibson died, tweeted out a picture of Gibson wearing the Cardinal red jacket in the dugout with Flaherty while he was in uniform. So he's still very present in the game, still very present in our lives. And, you know, in a roundabout sense, he's very present in every single baseball game because the year of the pitcher, the greatest pitching season of all time, Bob Gibson, 1.12 ERA, 22 wins in 1968, which... Wow. If anybody even gets a one at the beginning of their ERA, it's absurd. But almost getting a zero at the beginning of your ERA, pitching that many innings is absurd. I mean, they they lowered the bound. They, they he literally changed the game. He was so good that they were like, We need to we need to fix this. You know, we need to change the context of the we need to change the components of the ball. We need to lower the mound. Like all of these things that we talk about the game and how it changes and how we balance out hitter pitcher parity. There's the dead ball era going to the live ball era and there's the year of the pitcher and the mound getting lowered after that. And Bob Gibson is one of those things. He, he like, I mean, there's other pitchers that year too, but he is the shining yes, example of the second of those two examples. Yeah. An incredible figure for the game, larger than life and someone who we really should talk about more often as you said and probably bring someone on who can maybe speak to his impact and influence um better than we can maybe someone who watched him pitch so uh stay tuned dave stewart come on tipping pitches (laughs) uh we're down to your final down this week right the the last thing down on my list this week um it's a little jeopardy action Ooh, i did see this there was there was some baseball on Jeopardy, and uh, Yankees specifically. There was some there was a, a Yankees category, Bronx Bombers, as they are colloquially known. Propaganda, and it is propaganda for the New York Yankees. Spon-con. I will admit that. However, they were easy questions, and our uh, our contestants. You could say they bat they batted two hundred. Mm. We got we went one for five in this round. Oh no! Which is not uh, it's not it's not it's not great. Some of them you can get based off context clues. Some of them require a little bit more um, a little bit more knowledge about the game. But um, I want to I want to run through the through these real quick with you. All right. Okay. See, I will say I know I said how, that how I saw that. That there was baseball on Jeopardy, but I did not watch the episode, and I have not watched the clip of this, so we're not we're not cheating. Um, right. Although I, I will say, whenever I am watching Jeopardy, I am frequently embarrassed at how little they know about sports. If there's one person pretty, on the episode that like even relatively knows sports, they sweep every sports category because no other person even tries. I know. Yeah. Okay. 
Here we go. This is for $200. In 2009. I assume you're going to actually Venmo me the $200, right? <laughs> right, I will. Yes. Okay, yeah. Well, only if you get it right. In 2009, Jorge Posada hit the first home run in the new Yankee Stadium. In 1923, the first in the old park was, naturally, hit by this man. Who is Babe Ruth? That is correct. Okay. Bobby Wagner, that's yes, two, checking my, 200 points on the board Checking for you. my Venmo notifications. Um, this one is like, you just have to be completely tuned out of baseball. All rise. Aaron judge (laughs) on July 11th, 2017, a ball landed in the bleachers, 495 feet from home plate off the bat of this six foot seven Yankee. Yes. It's Aaron judge. Dinger. It's yeah. Seriously. Absolute dong. It wasn't just baseball at the old stadium. This Frank Gifford team moved there in 1956 promptly won a championship. The Giants? That's correct. The New York Football Giants? The, the New York Football Giants. Shout out to Frank Gifford. Shouts out. Stadium swung songs include this immortal center fielders getting the Yanks' only hit off Luis Tiant, September 25th, 1968. This was actually the only one that tripped me up. This immortal Yank center fielder in 1968. Is this Maris? Or is it Mantle? Yeah, Mantle? there it is. Unfortunately, unfortunately, you said Maris, and we're going to have to count that. Hold on, hold on. First of all, on Jeopardy, they don't, you can change your answer until Alex you has can? said Is that something. your final answer? Yes, exactly. Yep. So it's Mantle. Okay, all right. We'll, we'll give that to you. That. Our, I didn't think he played that late. I really didn't either. I thought he was more of like a like ended in the 50s kind of guy. But yeah, the more you know. I feel like that's the way they talk about um like every Yankee. I'm like the, these guys all hit in the 30s, right? Yeah, they were exactly. all part of Murderer's like, Row. Oh, yeah, it's always like <laughs> there's just this slew of Yankees players that are all-time greats that I'm just like when did you, which decade was this again? And it's yeah. like Mantle, yeah. Maris, Garrick, Ruth, like oh we fucking get it, dude. Yeah. Oh, 27 rings, bro. Okay, what's the last question? All right, the last one is, uh, it's actually your daily double. Ding, 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 ding. A museum at the stadium has statues of World Series hero Don Larson and 60 feet, six inches away, this great Yankee. Gotta be Yogi. The one and only. Legend. These are like, if you know remotely anything about baseball, these are softball questions. But when you say something like that to me before doing this on the podcast, I get nervous because then I don't want to embarrass I, myself. Right. Of course. Of course. But like, I just like we I had a baseball I guess question. They're in, just like we had a baseball question in our trivia with our friend group last week and I got it fucking wrong. <laughs> right. It's not. And, but that that question was harder than any of oh, these. Way harder. Like, these are these are. They do the sports questions on a curve because they know that these are all nerds who only have studied like history and shit. But you know, have you ever watched No Disrespect to Jeopardy? Have you ever watched Sports Jeopardy? Because that is also easy. I whenever I'm doing sports Jeopardy, I'm like, I could win this straight up. Yes. Dan Patrick, sign me up. What I'm saying is make it harder on these guys. But it's always I mean, clearly they already have a hard enough time, but yeah it's always so awkward though when you have a whole category where people don't get and everybody at home is like it's obviously you know it's obviously yogi Berra. yes i mostly enjoy alex trebek who i'd like to think knows all the answers to these you know tunes in and watches every yankees game 
and is like, goddamn Yogi Berra. I think Alex Trebek is a Jays fan. That would that would make sense given his nationality, but you know, for the bit. Got to support Canada. I hope everybody enjoyed their first week of playoff baseball, the wild card round. I hope everybody is going to enjoy the divisional series. My fingers are crossed. What? How is the schedule shaking out? There's no days off still, right? So the next time you and Bobby, I... Bobby, there's never any days off. Hashtag no days no. off. Every day is leg day. Every day we're getting real calories. There is no off season. Not empty calories. No, I think the next time we talk, we will know if the A's are still in the playoffs or not. So best of luck to you. Best of luck Thanks. to everybody who still has a uh, horse in the race. That's the saying. And we appreciate you listening. We will uh, talk to you guys next week. You walk, you walk until you find the things in me you thought you knew. Everybody, I'm Alex Rodriguez. Tipping pitches. This is the one that I love the most. So we'll see you next week. See ya!